Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. (laughs) Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp and 100% accountability with me including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical, and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Claire. Today I have a guest with me that he be doing things. <laughs> he be doing all the things. So Adam Clink is with me today. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> this took a moment to get together, but we're here now. It did. We made it. We we're meant to be here right now. Yeah. So for reference, Adam is the director of community at BPN, which is a new position. Congratulations. Correct. Thank you. It's bare performance nutrition for those who do not know that. He is also a high-level CrossFit athlete, also an endurance athlete. And last but certainly not least, what I want to make sure and mention in the intro is that you are also a husband and a father of two children. So like I said, you be doing things. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so we are here at Wadapalooza right now in Miami, in Florida. And for other context for you guys listening, we had not yet met until yeah. on a flight on our way out here in person. We both live in Austin, Texas. After you did your Leadville experience, I was like, oh, I got to talk to that dude. So I reached out to you and it was just hard to line up. Yeah. And so this is like, boom, perfect. Yeah, it took us going away from Austin, traveling to actually meet in person. (laughs) But we got it done. And I feel like we've corresponded enough. It was immediately just like, oh yeah, hey, that's my friend. But like now my friend in real life. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Social media does that now. Sometimes better than you would know him in person because of social media. It's so true. And if you spent any length of time building out your personal brand, which you have done, then you really do give people so much access to who you are that by the time they meet you in person, it's such a cool thing. When did you start to create content or be like a person on the internet on a frequent basis, volume, et cetera. When did that occur yeah, for you? It's funny because I don't consider myself a creator. I just fell into it. So I was a, kind of an old school CrossFitter, started in 2012. I know there's more seasoned CrossFitters than me, but that was still like That's pretty OG. dark ages of CrossFit. And what social media was for us was we would just post our big lifts and hope sponsors would pick us up back in the day. That's how it worked. We tried to grow our social media through posting videos of us lifting and yet to try to make it in the sport. And then as time went on, I had a good platform in the sense of I worked at a reputable gym. I was the head coach of CrossFit Krypton, which is the Smith family's gym. I go back enough. I know these things, uh but yes. Ever since I graduated college, I was the head coach of that gym for eight years. So being surrounded by Ben... Alec, Dane, and a bunch of others at a high level, you gained a little bit of a following just being around those people, which was nice. So I had maybe a little bit of a head start, but yeah, it wasn't really until I hit that mile and back squat that my social media blew up. And that's a relative term. For me, it blew up. I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers, but that feat obviously became really popular. And then my life honestly changed after that mile. And that back squat, which is crazy. I was kind of reminiscing on that earlier today, walking with somebody like how crazy it is that I have 
this job and this platform literally because of that myelin back squat. And so when you say myelin back squat, make sure that everybody knows what you're talking about. What is it? So I was the first person to hit a 500 pound back squat and run a sub five minute mile in the same day. Which is now something that a lot of people chase. I know people like actively pursuing it yeah. right now. That is their current goal. Yeah, literally. So you were the first person to record that. That was yeah, you. first recorded yeah. accomplishment of that. That's incredible though. Yeah. How many years ago was that? That was in 2020, right at the start of COVID. So just over two years ago, and people ask me like, why'd you do it? I was honestly bored. There was semifinals lined up that got canceled. Yeah. So I was like, what do I do? I wasn't even coaching at the gym. We, I would go in and just do an online class in the morning that we would record and put out on Facebook. And then I had a whole day. It's like, what do I do? And so that was an accomplishment, a feat that I always wanted to tackle. Yeah. And I finally had the time to do it. Well, you were at such peak fitness being that you thought you were going down yeah. this road and then COVID happened and things changed. So you're like, well, I might as well use this peak level of fitness that I'm in right now to do something rad. That's exactly what I did. And then from there, everything is just like spiraled from there. So when you say create your personal brand, I didn't intend to, it just yep. happened through some accomplishments along the way. And then obviously landing a job at Bear Performance Nutrition, we make a lot of content there. So it seems like I make more content than I really do. Sure. <laughs> I love the organic nature of that and really drawing attention to that because that is something that I think anyone can relate to, even if they haven't even started the journey yet. I relate heavily to that in the fact that I also did not create content and still a lot of what you're saying resonates yeah. with me, but it was an organic fell into it thing of I'm passionate in this space. Finally, I'm cultivating relationships with brands that are asking me to create stuff. So I guess I'll do that and figuring out where you fit within that. And then it just, the whole thing felt very organic yeah. for me. And then eventually you kind of find your stride and like, oh, so these are the areas I enjoy doing stuff in within this ecosystem. And it comes together over time, but it wasn't like, I'm going to create a personal brand. No. The personal brand came as a benefit of showing up in the space that you were passionate about showing up in and putting a bit of that on the internet. Which I like that way better. I think yeah. some people label themselves as a content creator. I've always labeled myself as a coach and an athlete. And then as my platform has grown, I've just made sure that I've been good to people and right. treated people well and was kind to people online and communicated with people. Yeah. So you've only been with Bear Performance for how long now? February will be two years. Okay. Yeah. Next month, almost next two month, years. Next month. And so with that situation being all of this occurred, then that personal brand we're talking about that mm -hmm. wasn't the intent, but did start to occur. Did that open those doors for you? Like the door with Nick? Yeah, was that a, a thousand percent? Okay. So I accomplished that feat. And actually I was an ambassador for BPN, not even a sponsored athlete. Okay. And I was between a few different brands when I made that decision. And there was just something about BPN where I was like, man, I know that they're not paying me a salary, but I feel like I'm missing out on something if I don't hop on the train right now. I had a couple of different offers from other supplement companies at the time. And so I was one of BPN's first ambassadors. They just launched their ambassador program. And when I took that, I was like, I'm an athlete, dang it. I want a contract. So I made it my goal to perform very well sales-wise for the brand. And then that in combination of me hitting that mile and back squat, that was super on brand with BPN caters to this hybrid athlete, the athlete that can run far and lift heavy. And so when I hit that feet and nothing else was going on, I think a little bit of that feat was there was literally nothing going on. I think it blew up probably a little bit more than it should have because there was no sports, no anything for people to follow. That was also right around the, I'll say fall of CrossFit a little bit, like the Greg Glassman stuff. So things I think were, when I- Things were not going well. It was a little rocky. So when I did that, I think everybody was like, yeah, something positive for CrossFit. Yeah. And they kind of jumped on, on board with it. But anyways- I hit that feat and then BPN signed me as an athlete. And I was like, sweet, finally. I got what I was set out to do. I have this athlete contract. So a couple of weeks later, BPN flew me out to Austin, Texas to yep. the HQ to make content. And after that weekend there, meeting the team, meeting Nick, that next weekend I get a FaceTime from Nick and he said, what's your price tag to come work for BPN? And at that time, this is another backstory, my wife and I, we had just moved into what we thought was our forever home. And forever home meaning kids are going to graduate high school in this house. It was in the perfect school district. It was half a mile from her parents. We had a 
two-year-old and one on the way. And we were like, this is perfect. They can help. We literally thought we were set. And then I get a call after this trip, like, hey, how can I get you to come to Austin? And immediately my wife was like, well, we have to go. And I was really? like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, I thought I had my dream job in the sense of I was the head coach of this gym. Lifestyle wise, it was great because I could train all the time. I was home in the afternoon to take care of my children with my wife. And she said, no, we have to go. And what was scary in the position I was in is half of my income was sponsorship money at the time. So now having a family, I signed a one-year contract with BPN, which is a very nice contract, but I was like, what happens after a year? Mm -hmm. What happens after two years when I lose these sponsors? So the stability of this new role moving to BPN was obviously very enticing. And I think my wife was ready to push me towards like, hey, let's get a big boy job. And what was also appealing about that job was that it provided my wife the ability to stay home with the kids for the couple of years, however long she wanted to. And then whenever the kids start school, she can go and like genuinely do and find something she's passionate about rather than just working a job for health insurance or a job. So needless to say, we moved. I worked remotely for a couple of months while we had our second child. When he was two months old, we drove from Virginia to Austin, Texas. Took me and my father-in-law two days to get there. Took my wife and the boys four days to get there. If you don't know anything about a two-month-old, it's like eat, sleep, wake, like this three-hour clock. So yes. they would knock out six hours of driving a day. Oh my so gosh. this 24-hour drive took forever. But when we first got there, it was really tough. So I stepped in as the partnership manager. They wanted to hire me because I was a coach. I was good with people. I could yeah. build relationships. And they brought me in to manage the athletes, which I absolutely loved built some incredible relationships with. But for them, it was like, sweet. We have somebody in this position. Let's send them here, then there, then let's have this athlete in town. And I was never home. So my wife, knowing nobody, having a two-year-old and a two-month-old, and I was gone literally a couple of days at a time or entertaining an athlete, going out to dinners. It was rough. It was rocky. But her parents followed us down five months later and they live a mile away now. And now everything's golden. So super happy where we're at now, but BPN is now stepping into retail. We were in the past, typically straight direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. So everybody would purchase everything online, but Directly now- Directly through the site. Exactly. Yep. So now we just got into central markets. We're then going into HEBs. We're going to 700 vitamin shops. Our bars are going into Costco. And we never really had this in-person events team until 2023 where we now need this because we're in stores. And I just knew that that was the role for me. Having mm -hmm. been a coach, I need to be out talking to people in the community. So this Wadapalooza is trip number one for the team. And so I'm now the director of community and I'm spearheading our mission to activate the community, be in person, hear people's stories, put on workouts, and just really make people fans of the brand. Yeah. It's so cool. Did you come straight out of high school and then go become a coach at Krypton or was that out of college? What was the timeline there? What was your trajectory? Did you go to college? And did you yeah. also coach on the side? How did you get in? I knew nothing about CrossFit in high school. So I was a soccer player. Played a bunch of sports in high school, but I went off to Rutgers University to play soccer. I was a goalkeeper. I redshirted my freshman year, so I was going to stay a fifth year and play. I got too many concussions. My redshirt junior year. Okay. So my last year in college... I served as the goalkeeper coach, but then I also lifted with the football team. And I was told I couldn't play any contact sports again, but I still want to be an athlete. I was like, I'm going to go to the MLS Combine, have a shot at playing pro. Mm -hmm. That was my dream from middle school on. I want to be a professional soccer, soccer player. player. And then in an instant, it was taken away mm -hmm. and I wasn't ready to be done being an athlete. So I remembered at that time, that last year in college, that my buddy did this thing called CrossFit. So I went to high school with Ben Smith from ninth grade on. We were in the same grade every year and we parted our separate ways, but I saw he was competing in CrossFit. And I was like, huh, this might give me something to compete in without getting hit in the head. Yeah, right. So, it's a non-contact sport. Yeah, except for I mean, if you occasionally make contact with a barbell, sometimes that's rough. But have you done that? Have you done that? We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> I don't see a scar, but see, there's one. There's one. There's okay. one. Yep. Injuries can happen in competition. It can occur. 100%. Yes. But Ben had opened his gym, CrossFit Krypton, my last winter break in college. And I went home for that winter break and I got a membership 
the first month he was open and he was doing his, his thing, couple people in each class, real small. But then I would come well, home. Well, this was very early. You know, oh, yeah. What do you say? Dark ages or whatever? I mean, Dark it was early ages CrossFit. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. So he opened it December 2012. The rest of that semester, I would come home every couple of weekends. And when I would, I would work out at the gym. And back then in CrossFit, you could be a college athlete and be athletic, learn most of the movements and do well in the open and qualify for regionals. Because for sure. there were tons of regions. They took the top 48. So I went through the open and I slid in and like, 44th out of 48 in the Northeast. And the gym was growing and I qualified for regionals. So I got a little bit of credibility and Ben was like, what are you doing after college? And I was like, I don't know, maybe being a soccer coach. That's my lane right now. And yeah. he said, I need another coach. He said, do you want to move down here and come coach with me? And I said, yes. So I skipped my college graduation. I competed in the Northeast regionals, did terrible, had zero clue what I was doing. I think I got like <laughs> 36th or something. And then the next day I drove home to Chesapeake, Virginia, and I coached with Ben Smith for eight years and became the head coach of that gym and led a team of coaches and some of the best years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. How many years have you competed within regionals and semifinals are the two key names that have mm -hmm. seemed to transcend the years, even though we have yes. different names for it's different- That same level. That, so yeah, now I guess there's like four levels. Level. Yeah. Right. So how many years at that level? Because it has changed names numerous times in the structure. I mean, it's, you yeah. know, we, we're riding waves, but how many times now have you competed at that level? So I've competed every year since 2012 minus last year. Last year was the first year I took a step back and did something new, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second. So from 2012 all the way through and then qualified the year in COVID and that one got taken away. So that was my level. I always prided myself on being the head coach of Ben's gym, that they had trusted me to lead that community of people. So that's what I put first mm -hmm. in my priority list, mm -hmm. obviously my family, and then whatever time I had left, I would train. So I was always super proud no matter where I finished because I felt like I did it the right way. I think I would have not been as happy or satisfied if I sacrificed some of those other details of life. Absolutely. And maybe gotten further, yeah. maybe made the games. I don't know that I would have been any happier if I sacrificed things that were important in my life yep. for those accolades. So yeah, I got close. I got two spots away in 2018. But yeah, I've enjoyed every single year. Did you always feel like it was a positive to train? So I'm assuming you got to do a good bit of training alongside Ben. Oh, and of yeah. course, Ben has had quite a career. Do you feel like, because you were probably going through your 20s during those mm -hmm. years, was it ever hard for you to be the right hand to the guy that's really excelling in this? And I'm over here doing pretty well, which to compete at that level means you are extremely fit. I don't know if everybody fully understands the context of like competing at that level means you've got yeah. quite a level of fitness, but was that ever hard for you or was it pretty peaceful knowing yeah. that you were only giving it not a hundred percent? It's funny. I actually don't know if I've been asked that question much. It was almost like I was Robin to Batman. That's a, what I feel in and what you're saying. But no, I was very much at peace. I was just super grateful for the position I was in. Was I envious of him being at the CrossFit Games and winning the CrossFit Games? I mean, maybe at times, but none that stick out to me. But I was way more proud of what he had accomplished. And I was proud that I was a part of something that helped him accomplish that. I was going to say, yeah, you had a huge hand in to, that because you were able to help facilitate the growth. Yeah, and To be know. able to run the gym so he didn't have to coach any classes, worry exactly. about any of the coaches, and he could focus on what he needed to do. Like, I was ecstatic just to play that part yep. in that journey of him in the gym. And the fact that I could make it close there was all I needed. It gave me enough credibility to do my job well and have the respect I needed in a gym like that. And then you travel that down the road and here you are now. So I mean, like yeah. really it did, even if the aspiration was never, I'm going to be the community guy for a supplement brand. Like that was never what the end goal. And of course, we're just in a phase of your journey. But to see that that took you here when all the way back then it was literally just, I'm just into doing the best job that I can at this job that I have yeah. within this ecosystem that I love. I honestly think if you approach every job or whatever you do in life with that mentality, you have zero clue where that's going to take you in life. And I think people don't think that in the moment. Yep. For full context, it was literally the CrossFit Games just over a year ago when I was working my first CrossFit event for uh -huh. a brand. 
on the stand as just Look a stand at you worker. Now. Well, it's just really cool. Yes, I did show up to that and say, I want to do the best job mm. I can do here and really tried to do that and do the best job for that brand. I felt fulfillment in doing that. And yes, when I was a server, I tried to be the best. I was a bar manager and bartender. So yes, just trying to give what you can to the space you exist yeah. in. It's really cool where that can take you. People take notice. People will take notice and they're going to want you. Yeah. Okay. So we do need to head now into that journey that you went on last year where you opted a- to go run the Leadville yes. in Colorado. It was a journey. Bro. <laughs> it's a journey. Tell people what that is. So Leadville is a hundred mile ultra race in Leadville, Colorado, and I believe it's tagged as the second hardest hundred mile race in the U.S. Reason it's so hard is because of the elevation. The race starts at nine thousand feet and gets it as high as thirteen five, and you have to climb that mountain twice because it's an out and back. So you go out, you climb this massive mountain called Host Pass. You get to the bottom. And then you have to turn right around and do it again. And the thing that makes that race also so hard is because there's pretty aggressive time caps at each aid station, where if you're two seconds past that time cap, they cut your wristband and you go back. Oh, wow. By the way, guys, this is 100 miles on foot. This is not a century bike ride. This is on foot. So why'd you do that? (laughs) Couple reasons. So I work for Nick Bear. Uh, Those of you that don't know, Nick Bear owns... Bear Performance Nutrition. And the year before, he went out and did Leadville. And Nick has made his name a name for himself being somebody that dabbles in all different areas of fitness from bodybuilding to powerlifting to endurance running and Ironmans. And he went out there and being part of the team, we went out there with him to crew him. And I paced him for 25 miles of that race. So I got a little taste of being out there and it was absolutely incredible. Being in the mountains, not seeing many people, being with nature and just suffering. Mm. It sounds crazy, but I enjoyed it. And Mm -hmm. again, I got a taste of it at 25 miles. And I'm not a runner. Yes, I played soccer, but I was a goalkeeper. So I wouldn't say I'm a runner. And then running for CrossFitters is way different than like- 400 meters is for Actual runners, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You want us to run a mile? Yeah, right. Broke up into 200 meter segments? Exactly. What? (laughs) When I had workouts and you warm up with a couple miles. After that experience, One, I just wanted to experience the magnitude of that race and 100 miles by myself, obviously with a crew and everything, but I wanted to cover that distance. And then two, having transitioned to now a full-time eight to five job, and now I have two kids, two young kids, where my training time is way more limited, it seemed much more realistic for me to just wake up an hour and a half early, go for an hour to an hour and a half run, and then go on with the rest of my day and take care of what I need to take care of. And so for that time of my life, training wise, it allowed me to set a goal and have the ability to train for it and not get deflated because I didn't have the time to train. It was something that I felt like I could put time and work in to accomplish. So I kind of just pivoted what my goal was for that year. So this was the first year I decided that I was not going to do the open since 2012. Okay. So you ran the race. I ran the race. And then... And I flew home in a wheelchair. You flew home (laughs) in a wheelchair. This is great. I really haven't gone too much into detail about this whole race yet. So this is really great to talk about. Well, and this this. is the little bit that I did get to see because, of course, I was paying attention. Somebody goes and does a feat like this and Mm -hmm. you pay attention. And me being new in Austin and you being in Austin, you guys are my community now. And so even though we haven't had the opportunity to hang out there, which we will, and if you don't have me at HQ, I'm going to fight you. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) but it's impressive. I want to know what's going on. So I see the little bit of content around, okay, all the build up to this mm-hmm. incredible feat of just athleticism, running a hundred, everything about that. And then 87 mile mark, something goes on. And so something's been yeah. building up. Yeah. Going on. It didn't just happen then. It was building. Right. So I had questions and that's why I reached out. I was like, I yeah. want to know what happened because yeah. within that there's going to be packed all of these lessons. So let's unpack that. Okay. Let's do it. What happened? Yeah. So. First off, I like to tell everybody that I did Leadville training for dads. So I wasn't willing to sacrifice time with my kids to train. So again, early morning runs. And people will argue that I probably didn't do a couple long enough runs, like in the 35-mile range as like a training run. But I also didn't have five, six hours on a Saturday to just go run and knock out those miles. So my longest runs were 20 to 25 miles 
I wasn't going to fly out to Leadville 10 days early to acclimate to the altitude, which a lot of people do that go there for that race. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what, I'm just going to do the best I can with the time I have and put forth my best effort. So get to race day and get to the starting line. And I honestly feel great. I don't feel like the altitude is affecting me much. Obviously it did. I Mm -hmm. looked back at my watch after the race and my blood oxygen level was at 50%, supposed to be between 95 and 100%. You train and you practice things like nutrition and then race day comes and doesn't always go according to plan. So I had a plan like, this is my nutrition. This is what I'm going to eat at each checkpoint. And you probably really had that dialed in. Yes and no. Okay. I feel like you get halfway to a race like that and it's just like damage control, problem solving, figuring out solutions to whatever problems you're having. But again, more like a game plan for what my crew is going to bring me in terms of food, in terms of gear, things like that. Get to checkpoint one, can't stomach solid food. I was going to have like a peanut butter honey sandwich at each checkpoint. Took me four miles to eat half of it. I was like, this is not working. What a mile marker is that? Uh, So we're at like mile 12. You're 12 miles in, you can't put down a PB&J or (laughs) PB&H. Yeah, (laughs) PB&H. That's a problem. That is a problem because then you're fully reliant on like a liquid nutrition goose, which tear you up. I think I went through a whole container of G1M Sport, which is one of our products. I was able later in the race to get down some ramen, but not a lot. And up there, it's like, you think you're drinking enough and everything you can, but these aid stations are pretty far apart. And yes, they might be 12 miles, but it's not 12 miles of pure running. It's like hiking, climbing, fast walking. So 12 miles will take you three, four hours to get through it at some some points. And so you fill up, you drink at your aid stations and you have your pack and maybe a handheld and you drink all of that but you really don't have access to anything else along the way. So you're just left to whatever bottles you have. So in hindsight, obviously, if I do this again, I'm going to have to figure out how to probably consume some more liquids. And then another thing that ended up being a detriment to me was as you go through a race like that, it's painful. I mean, I remember I couldn't feel my toes, my feet. So taking Motrin at every aid station, Motrin's not great for your kidneys. And when your body and your muscles start to break down, then your kidneys can't do what they need to do filter what it needs to filter and that ultimately led me to getting rhabdo honestly felt really really good on the close side to some of these time caps especially after halfway but man after halfway there was zero running i literally couldn't run if i wanted to it was a pretty much a hike and a walk from there i think me being so heavy i ran it at 208 pounds and going up and down, honestly. But you are pretty tall. How tall are you? I'm six foot. Okay. But I, I usually tall. walk around at like 220. So bigger, heavier side for a CrossFitter yeah. and a way bigger, way heavier side for a runner. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, guys are flying by me, half my size going up the mountain and also twice my age too. If you didn't know, I think, not I think I know, like you build endurance with age. These guys just move out there. Endurance is invisible. Like you can't look at someone and recognize, right? Not absolutely. At all. Yeah. Not at all. In the, I did some cycling training yeah. and I was able to like, Why experience the fact me? that all of these 60, whatever year old men yeah. that I'm riding with are absolutely crushing it and going at speeds that were pretty impressive for hundred miles at a time. As you get older too, and you're not able to build as much strength and muscle, you're like, ah, yeah. oh, I'll just go out and run. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Something that, well, and mine was cycling. So it was low impact for a lot of them. They love yeah. that. But I mean, Hey, that builds an engine. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I get to the halfway part. We go up that mountain again, and I'll tell you that mountain, Hope's Pass, multiple times going up each time, I was like, this is it. I'm not going to make it. That's how hard some of those miles were, like 30, 45-minute miles at points. You're leaning, standing on this hill, Mm -hmm. just like trudging up this mountain. The whole experience was literally the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And CrossFit is different pain than that endurance. Pain from doing a 100-mile race it doesn't stop. CrossFit is very temporary pain. Sure. You can bring yourself to a dark place, but you- You get back out of it quick. Recover in five or 10 minutes and you're good. But it was getting dark, got dark. And I remember mile 75 was a checkpoint and I went to the bathroom and my pee was brown, caught like black coffee brown. And I was like, I know what that is. I've been a coach for a while. I have rhabdo. And at that point in the race, I didn't feel any worse than I thought I would feel 75 miles into a race like that. So obviously in hindsight, very stupid for me to keep going, but I kept going. So I now have pacers, which is a good thing at this point. I've had pacers for 
the 12 miles before that. And I pick up my next pacer for the next 12 mile stretch. And mile 88 is the last checkpoint before the finish line. And I mean, I'm moving, I'm on, on track to finish. We're moving, we're making good time. And I felt this moment earlier in the race, maybe around mile 60, where I started to get really lightheaded. I felt like I was almost out of my body, which I expected to feel at a race like that. I've expected hallucinations, but I felt like I wasn't in my body and I got some like sugars and some food and it brought me out of that. I came You back. would get put back in your body temporarily and then you would eventually float out of it again. Well, yeah. So yeah. a second time that happened and because I did the race with Nick at that portion, I paced him. There was this really steep, rocky, wet downhill that we were about to go down to get to that last checkpoint. And I knew that was coming up and I was feeling that again, like very disoriented. I didn't feel like I was in my body. And so I told my pacer, I was like, hey, I just need to stop and grab something before we go down there. I like, I'm going to eat it. So I take a goo out. I start to eat it and I went down. You're on the ground. So passed out, threw up on my pacer and I mean, literally just laying there on the side of this mountain in my pacer's lap as he like is catching me. And I remember I came to, didn't really know what happened and at, had him get me up to try to like keep going. And he bear hugged me, got me up to my feet, just collapsed. I had reached the point where, you know, if you're like just standing, whether you know consciously or not, you're flexing muscles to balance yourself, to keep yourself standing. I could not fire or flex a single muscle in my lower body. And so if I was put on my feet, it was like jello and I was just to the ground. So from that point in and out of consciousness, I remember points of like my pacer, like trying to find help. Mind you, we're in like middle of nowhere, no service, mountains of Leadville. At that point in the race, you see a person every 20 minutes, maybe. So I think he struggled to get help. I think there was this random teenage couple driving down the mountain in a pickup truck and he asked them to stop and they picked me up and loaded me in the back of this pickup truck and started to take me down the mountain to a hospital. Do you remember being in the pickup at all? Briefly, but then an ambulance met us and I got put in an ambulance and made it to the hospital. So do you remember being in the ambulance? <laughs> I remember one part, this is really random. So Everything hurt, and uh, this is a, kind of a funny story. Everything so, hurts, and I'm Everything dying. hurt, but they put me in this bed that is way too short for me. And I don't think that I'm that tall, but maybe a bed for somebody who's like five six. So my feet were hanging off, and my feet, my heels were resting on this oxygen tank at the end of the bed, and I had taken my shoes off and everything. And I just remember we're driving down this hill, and we hit this bump, and the back of the ambulance flies up. I have no control of my legs, so my legs fly up in the air, and my heels just crash on this metal oxygen tank. And I just remember, I just screamed. And I couldn't do anything about it. It was like my heel bones on this metal tank. And I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't really remember getting into the hospital. I remember obviously gaining more consciousness when I was in the hospital bed and hooked up to everything. Sure. But they took really good care of me, pumped me with how many bags of fluid. And because I was in the shape that I was in, I was able to clear a lot of the lactic acid way faster than like if an average person sure. got rhabdo. Sure. And because they were going down enough and I was like, God, like I have a flight the next day. I got kids at home. They ended up letting me out that night. That's but in crazy. a wheelchair, my wife willed me onto the airplane in a wheelchair and walking was pretty comical for the next couple of days. Oh my so gosh. in hindsight, I absolutely understand and realize what I did was incredibly dangerous and that people would die from that, pushing yeah. themselves to that point. But yeah. even though I didn't reach that 100 mile mark, the amount of accomplishment that I felt from pushing my body, I've never felt my body just give up like that. I had the mental capacity to keep going, but my body just physically couldn't go anymore. And I know that not a lot of people will ever experience that in their life. Very few people will experience anything yeah. like that. And actually guys, just for the record, that's completely okay. For pushing yourself <laughs> to the it's point. It's okay. Yeah. If you never experience rhabdomyolysis in your life, that's actually yeah. a good thing. So yes. my questions coming from that, which I think you just answered one is 
was going to be, do you feel like you failed? And this will probably change over time. Like the way that you feel about it right now probably maybe looks a little different than you felt the first week afterwards. And two years from now, you might have a different relationship with the experience. But today, less than six months after this race, what is your relationship with the experience yeah. right now? So literally laying in the bed, I can honestly say that I didn't feel like I failed because I knew how I felt. I knew I couldn't. Take I don't feel step. like you failed either, by the way. But I will say, though, like the competitor in me, now that your body forgets pain, mm -hmm. and your body has a short term memory. Yeah. So now that I don't have those feelings anymore, I need to go back and finish those 100 miles at some point. Like I have to. And it, but it's funny in the hospital, my wife looked at me and she said, you know, you're going to go back and finish at some point. Right. And at that point, I was like, never again will I do that. But literally the day after I was like, we're going to go back. I need to meet her. <laughs> I love her already. She's oh fantastic. my gosh. Wow. She sounds rad. Which there was a side of that where I think she wants to go back. So she was supposed to pace me from the last checkpoint through the finish line. Okay. And I fell a mile shorter first. So I think she really wanted that moment and those hours pulling me through those probably the darkest time I would have had in that race. So yeah. she wants to go back and finish that too. So takeaways from the experience, what do you think when you look back at what you underwent? Because like we said, most people are never going to experience that kind of, I mean, I cannot relate. I did spend some hours, I guess last year on a bike, five, six hours at a time on a yeah. road bike for every weekend for a while training for a race. But that's not the same as on your feet. I, it's I, just I see same. that. I'm like, man, my butt will hurt so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually not that bad. Maybe like the first couple of times you're like, oh, don't love that. And then it, yeah. you're just like, literally, they're not kidding when they say you get numb. Like, yeah. you just don't realize it anymore. And you have a seat. Anyway, you sit on your set bones. It makes sense. It all makes sense. You use the cream. It works. Anyway, so <laughs> it works. Get the mentholated kind. It's great. <laughs> And so I do not feel as though this is even remotely apples to apples, me using that comparison. That's the closest I can get to it. But I do remember learning so much through that experience about mm -hmm. nutrition and whenever I would hit the wall and I wouldn't have done enough and I'd be like, shoot, now I'm in a deficit. I'm going to climb out this. And this is a problem of just, this is a slog now. And so figuring out how to not get there was so cool to learn that. But then also when you do longer events of fitness, you do reach these out of body moments. It's such an interesting sensation. And so I cannot fathom where you went with all of that. Because how many hours until from what mile zero to mile 87, I'm on the ground. How many hours of continuous movement was yeah. that? 26, just over 26. The wildest part of that race. 26 hours, guys. There are 24 in a day. This is yeah. over a day of continuous movement. Most of us don't move our bodies more than an hour. The craziest and, part and that's fine, but that's very hard to wrap my brain around. Seeing the sunrise twice and you were still running was a weird feeling. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's so cool. So takeaways. If there were lessons packed within this whole experience, including the training, including the after the fact, the event itself, what are the biggest takeaways you feel like you walk away from that experience with? Yeah, when you pick a goal of that magnitude, you have to realize things are just going to go wrong. So it's damage control and figuring out solutions on the fly and knowing that if something happens, it's not the end of the world, adjust, make an adjustment, figure out a solution and figure out how to keep going. Because if I was like mile eight, I hit a rock so hard, tripped over it, barrel rolled down a mountain for, I don't know how long. And if I was like, oh, this sucks, then just quit, mm -hmm. you figure it out. So I think just being adaptable and knowing that things aren't always going to go according to plan, but figuring out how to work around them and find a solution in those tough times and not panic. That was a big takeaway too. And this was a huge one is surrounding yourself with the right people makes all the difference in the world. Finding your tribe and people who are truly just want the best for you. I know it's hard to do, but if you can find those people, like don't let them go. Cause it's funny in my athletic endeavors, I have two instances where I look back and I was like, man, I was so lucky to have the people that I had by my side. I mean, the first one was the mile in the back squat. So I don't know if you go back and watch the video that I recorded as I'm running around the track, the amount of people that I had out there that took their Saturday morning. And not only that, there were people out there that would come to my trainings and help me train and cheer me on and call out my paces. And they were more excited than I was 
when I accomplished that goal. And it's really cool because one of the comments I see actually the most from that video is, man, I got to find people like Adam had when he was running that mile. I need people in my life like that. And I think that speaks volumes. And then at Leadville, like looking back, the fact that these people took a week of their time to fly out to Colorado with me, to crew me, to stay up for 27, eight, whatever hours. But not only that, as I ended up in the hospital, they were right there by my side. Don't underestimate the good people in your life because when they're gone, it's tough to find people like that. So the two points you made, one sounds like dealing with adversity and resilience. Do you feel now as you push your capacity so far there that now you get to take with you this level of resilience to adversity that's going to come in life and feeling like you have the resources and skills and tools to deal with life. So do you feel like that was something that translated to now something blows up in my face at work or at home, my kids, all this stuff, everybody's sick or whatever it is, just the day-to-day life stuff through going through those experiences. Do you feel like that gave you tools to know how to remain more peaceful through adversity? Absolutely. And I think everybody's fitness journey in some sense does that. Think about when you first started CrossFit and you were five minutes into a workout and you're like, I can't do this. This is miserable. Like I'm going to die. But then you build fitness and you keep stacking fitness and you keep stacking experiences and you're almost like calloused, right? To what you thought was hard is now not so hard and you have different challenges and you keep like adding layers to that threshold that you have. Mm -hmm. So then now being in the hospital after a hundred mile race, everything else is, Hey, we're going to be okay. And it's really, really translated to now me managing people as well. And even being in that work environment where people might overreact or be dramatic about things. I think things are worse than they really are. But I think two things, I think the combination of me doing these feats of strength like that, but also being a dad, I don't want to underestimate what being a father does and what patience that brings. And you have a different sense of prioritizing what's important. But yeah, I think all of those things have helped me. And like, you probably feel the same way with how you've built fitness over the years. That oh, sure. Yeah. Well, my experience is different solely for the fact that I came into CrossFit in my 20s and did not play any sports growing up. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, when you say all of that, I'm like, I love to just make sure that each individual who gets the opportunity to listen to your story here can recognize that no matter where they are, no matter their age, no matter if they have this, some sort of capacity already built up, or if they feel like they're starting at ground zero, ground zero is a place to start. And so you can build that capacity. And so you are proof of that. And now you feel like this outlier, but you're not, you've just put in work year over year. And so that was certainly my experience with it, you know, of moving. I showed up to that place for years. One, I showed up and then I went away for three years because I was scared. And then I came back and I just kept showing up. I was just so desperate. And I moved poorly for years and now I don't move so poorly anymore. And I've got so much room for growth, but to see, just to make it relatable to the person that has never been in whatever that you can get there, just, you can actually get there. It's going to take time. It's not going to be easy, but what that's worth it is easy. Yeah, Like it is 10 out of 10 worth it. So, okay. And then the second thing was the community bit that you built on. So I just wanted, you're speaking about how important all of these people in your life are. You have to be the person at some level to get those people to want to show up. So without it being a gloat brag thing for you, I'm just going to acknowledge that all those people showed up for you at that feat of strength and five minute mile, and then showed up for you again at this Leadville. There's a reason that people are showing up for you. And it's probably because you're showing up for them in some way. And so in order for people, if they feel like their tribe isn't what they want it to be right now, what would you say to somebody who wants to look for better humans? It's okay to want to do that. How do you go looking? I think I just approach life and I set out every day to just try to bring out the best in others and just try to show up for people. And I think in return, you find the people that are going to show up for you. I never walked into a day of coaching being like, I need this person to do this for me. I wanted to make that hour that they were with me the best hour of their day. And I'm sure you hear that a lot from coaches, but I just have always had a very true passion for helping people, for connecting with people. And I find joy in making people feel good. And people feel good when you can help them accomplish their Their goals. goals. And if you can do that for somebody, they're going to show up for you. I mean, as a coach, you coach. Yes. 
And coaching doesn't always pay the most. You know what the coolest thing? Certainly not a CrossFit affiliate coach. Yes. But what's way more valuable than any paycheck I got was what others were willing to do for you when you were in need in whatever the situation was. The intrinsic value. Insane. Being a coach, again, like I said, you help people accomplish their goals. You're part of usually what is the best hour of their day, their outlet where they can shut their brain off, focus on themselves. So when this is, when you're in a time of need, I remember my hot water heater went out. I exploded a tire, but like the guy at the gym who worked at a car dealership, dude, I got you tired, bring it in free tire mm-hmm. or dude, water heater on me. But those times where I was like, why are you doing this? But you don't realize what you're doing for other people mm-hmm. because you don't know what everybody is going through in life. So I just try to be good to everybody. And yeah. that's why this new role is just beyond perfect for me. And I'm ecstatic to be in this new community role for BPN because at the end of the day, I just want to connect people. I like, I genuinely want to hear their stories. Mm-hmm. I want them to be a part of our community. I want to be a part of their community and just treat people well. Yeah. It sounds like a perfect role. And I have a daily practice now of prayer where I specifically request to not operate from a place of selfishness because I will naturally, as a human, be a selfish individual. And what am I going to get out of the situation? And how is this advantageous for me? And that is not where I want to operate from. And so in the morning time, stopping, pausing, taking a moment and saying to my higher power, please make me aware when I'm acting out of self and how can I do less of that? And so... I just think that that's a practical, tangible tool for to say, okay, I want to show up for other people. Let me just yeah. show up for other people because that is cheat code. You show up for other people and watch yeah. what happens. That's amazing. I need to find time to pause like that. Oh, do it. Do it. Prayers. I've started doing it over the last yeah. two years. It's changed my life. Right. I mean, I feel like my life is a hockey stick and life will happen on life's terms. Yeah. I understand yeah. adversity is going to swap me in the face at any given moment. And that's reality. I get that. I'm going to appreciate the good that exists right now and recognize that a lot of those practices such as simple gratitude and prayer have changed my life. And so Incredible. then that's like an easy one. Like it's yeah, an yeah, easy right? one. Yeah. 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 It, people just need to like stop to do that. For just a moment. Just it doesn't stop. even take long. It takes less than 30 seconds. Yeah. If you want to spend two minutes, get after it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to church in Austin, Texas. That's amazing. Shout out Red Rocks. Love y'all. And anyway, it was just crazy for me to even say that. But I was like telling one of our pastors this past week, I was like, so I asked God to collab. I said, let's go bless some people. And I was like, that is the most pop culture reference you could ever. And didn't realize I was doing it in the moment. And then just was sitting there laughing at myself. I'm like, Hey, you know what? That works for me. So, okay. Back to you. I have a couple more questions that I want to specifically get to, which are, you are a father, you are a husband, you have a large role at BPN. Mm -hmm. You have this personal brand. You now have launched your online coaching. Like you are doing a lot of things. And so tools, and it can just be the ones that stand out the most of balancing your priorities. Like you said, it was too important for you to make sure that you were still a good husband and a good father. So if you were not the CrossFit games champion, that was okay because that was your priority and everybody gets to choose theirs. But how do you feel today with all of the stuff on your plate like balancing it, what are some things that help you with that? Yeah. And I first want to say, I do not have it all figured out. Nope. I have days that are way harder than others, but I do know what my priorities are. And that obviously is step one in all of this is, Get is, clear. is figuring out your priorities. And that's my faith, my family, my job. And you would think fitness is a lot higher for somebody like myself. Number four, fitness. So that's where that lies on the priority list for me. It just does. And where that lands my training time is at five in the morning or at 8.39 PM once the kids are asleep. And that's okay. Because I think if I had it any other way, like I said, I don't think I would be content or that happiness would be very short lived, but it's a lot of time management. The biggest thing that's helped me as I've piled more and more on my plate and again, it's not always easy to do this. And I don't always do this. It's just not possible sometimes, but If you take your day and you divide it up as like a piece of a pie of 100% and you have your workouts, your work, your family, and you put 20% of your effort into your workout and 30% of your effort into work, you're not fulfilled by the end of the day. So I try to take the approach and have the mindset 
where no matter what the task is and no matter how long I have to do that, I'm going to put a hundred percent effort into the task at hand. So mm-hmm. if I have an hour to train in my garage, it's a hundred percent effort and all my focus is there. And then I move on to, okay, now I have family time. I get my kids up, getting ready for work and I'm putting a hundred percent of my focus and energy into my kids. And then I get to work. And between these hours, it's a hundred percent energy into work. And it leads to an exhausting day most days, but I feel so much more fulfilled. I feel so much more accomplished. I usually get more done. And again, I know that you don't always feel like you do that, but it's more of a mindset where like, if this is the time I have, I'm going to give my best effort into doing that for that time. And that has been what helped me more than anything else is just that mindset of 100% effort here, 100% effort here, 100 here, and then I feel fulfilled. Knowing what your priorities are and being present where your feet are. Those are great. And there are many good books out there today that I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so terrible about references. Don't even ask me about a movie. Can't tell you. I can tell you the script and I couldn't tell you the name of the movie. It's tragic. But there are many books out there that are available that specifically speak about this topic and about focused energy. And so get curious about those. Look it up on Amazon. Google it. I've definitely read a book last year that was so insightful and really was teaching how to cultivate that focused energy and then showcasing the science behind the importance of if you just really can hone in on what you're doing in this moment and stop letting so many distractions and recognizing that so many of those things, they're not urgent. You can deal with them within this 24-hour time period most of the time and everything's just fine. And just because it sends off a flare doesn't mean it's actually an emergency at all. And there's just peace within that. Okay. So then I also wanted to ask you, because this is a topic that's very popular today and one that I love to talk about, masculinity. And I think that you would be someone that people would perceive as a masculine man. And so what does that mean to you? It's funny. If you asked me that 10 years ago, Uh I would say being strong in the form of being able to lift a lot of weight, being fit, being what you would think in, in terms of a physical sense of masculine. Now, masculine to me means being there for my kids, being there for my family, being confident, being able to lead the people that I lead, both at work and my family, doing things the right way. It's definitely changed over the years. Masculinity has way less to do with appearance nowadays and more to do with values. I like that answer. That checks out. There's a reason I like you. Okay. And another one for you that is you recently got Prove Yourself Right. I love that we're talking about this. Yeah. It's a dope tattoo. And you put the music you put with it. Sick. Okay. He made a quick reel or something with it. And it was super cool. I don't do that. My guys have worked it. Well, great. They did a great job. Good job, guys. That trending audio really (laughs) hashtag trended. Anyway, so you got a tattoo on Mm -hmm. your leg that says prove yourself right. It's like a a lion or a tiger. What is it? It's a panther. I honestly like the design. It's a very meaningful tattoo, but some of the art now that I get at my tattoos are less meaningful and more because I like the way they look. So on my leg, I don't know if you can guys see in the video, but I have dedicated this leg now to my boys Okay, and I literally let them pick things based on the interests. So I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old boy. So we have a shark. We have a T-Rex riding a a rocket ship. We have this panther that says, prove yourself right. And I'll explain the meaning here in a second. But also, I have this Saturn. And so my now four-year-old, he would always say to his mom before bed, like, I love you to the moon. And it had to be different for dad. So he'd always say, I love you to the Saturn. That's what he would say. So now I have a Saturn on my leg. I love it. So there's a lot of meaning behind these to me. But the prove yourself right is actually our 2023 brand campaign for BPN. So to hit it with a punch, I was like, I'll take one for the team and get a tattoo and we'll make a teaser out of it. It it was sick. It was really cool. Yeah. But the tattoo is incredibly meaningful to me for this time and moment in my life and where I'm at, especially physically. Because when I started CrossFit, it was for incredibly selfish reasons. I started CrossFit I said, I am an athlete. I want to make a name for myself. I want to compete and win and do well and prove everybody that I can be this big name in the sport, which I think a lot of people, I mean, not a lot, but like the people, the competitive people, they want to prove others wrong. They want to make a name for themselves. And 
over the years, one, I went in with that mentality, but I never thought I would, but I grew a deep passion for coaching. That's a little bit off topic. It's funny. I got into the sport for one reason and then I stayed for a completely other reason, which has gotten me to where I am now. But I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm less concerned with what others think. I have nothing to prove to anybody anymore. I purely just want to do these things and accomplish these things to prove myself right, to show that I can still do this. So I took a year off of CrossFit and did this ultra and destroyed my body. And for the past three months, have not felt myself. But I want to compete in the game season this year and see how far I get. And secretly in the back of my mind, I want to make it to that semifinal stage, not to prove anybody wrong, but just to prove myself right that I can do it. I think that's my message. That's our brand's message. But like my message to everybody. And when they look at me, I want people to take away two things. And one, it's to set goals and accomplish those goals. Make a plan, accomplish those goals, but don't compare yourself to everybody else. When I hit that mile in back squat, everybody wanted to know how I trained and what I did. I said, okay, I'll put out training, but here's a stipulation. This is all relative. And when you start this program, so I wrote down all my workouts and I put it out for everybody. I said, look, test in, let's set a realistic goal for yourself and let's work towards that goal. Mm-hmm. I said, you're not gonna hit a 500 pound back squat in a five minute mile. You're not, sorry. Set a goal and work towards it. And that's why I had to do Leadville. I had to have a goal to feel fulfilled in my training. And yeah, do things for yourself. Stop worrying about what other people think. You will be a whole lot more fulfilled when you do things to prove yourself right rather than prove others wrong. Yes. I couldn't agree more with that. And that makes me think of something I've been navigating as a lot of my life today looks very different than it did two years Mm -hmm. ago. And I'm so grateful for that. But with that comes the reality that not everybody's going to understand the decisions that you make. And that's hard when people that you truly care about are upset in some way by your growth, that hurts, hurts me. And so what I've really had to work on, and I have a wonderful partner today that helps me with that and other people in my life, but certainly I have to stop when I get worked up about, oh, I've upset someone. Were my actions in line with my principles and values? And if the actions that I took could I have done better? We can look at that. Is there somewhere that I could have shown up a bit more? I'm not saying there's not room for growth within that. I want there to be room for growth. I want to grow. I'm completely comfortable with the reality. I'm not nailing everything. But if my actions day in and day out are in line with what I feel that my principles and values are, then I have to be at peace with the reality that that is going to make people upset. And that's okay. Cool. We do the best we can and we understand that. Okay. I love that. I always like to end with a couple of questions, which is what is one thing that you feel that you are currently doing well that you would like to do better or do more of? This is ongoing for me and it is to be present with my kids. I feel like I'm doing well this day and age with social media, with work, like it's tough to not be on your phone at times. I've like implemented boundaries where after 4.30 PM and I get off work, I don't respond to anybody work related. And it's tough because sometimes I break that rule. That's one thing I'd like to continue to work work on. Well, and I love the humanity in that. I set this boundary, but even I still sometimes accidentally go back on my boundary. The humanity in that is real because we are all human. human. So now what are three things that you are grateful for today? Very grateful for my wife. She's amazing. She does everything for our family. I am here for six days without the kids and she is taking care of our children. So super grateful for my wife. Women run this world. They really do. (laughs) (laughs) We're pretty rad. (laughs) Um, I am super grateful for a forgiving God. I've messed up plenty in my life as we all have and super grateful that he forgives us of our sins, regardless of what your belief is. That's what I believe and that's something that I'm thankful for. And then three, I'm very thankful for my health. I don't like go in the city much, but even just being here, and I'm sure you can walk around, see all different kinds Variety. of people down here. You see homeless people, people not in good health. And I'm thankful that I have a healthy body mm-hmm. and I can use that to help others. Yeah. 
All right. I knew it wasn't going to be hard for you to rattle some off. Okay. So I like to say my three gratitudes today. So my three are going to be that I'm grateful that we are in beautiful Miami and the sun is out. It's like in the seventies, by the way, it's going to be cold. I think the next couple of days heads up, but I am grateful that we are in beautiful Miami. I am grateful for who I just referenced. I'm grateful for having a partner right now who supports me. That's a really cool thing that was real scary for me to be willing to do. And it's still scary, but it is so cool to be supported in the way that I'm supported right now. And I'm just going to be grateful for that. And then the third thing is I am grateful for my relationship with food today. I feel like it's so positive. And when I'm hungry, I eat. It's a beautiful experience that had a lot of years of not getting to feel that way and being afraid of it, not knowing how to be friends with food. And so the idea that I get to really enjoy those experiences and also then use it as fuel, but it's just experience it with friends, you name it. I'm grateful for that. So where can they find you, support you? At Adam Clink on everything, I think. I just try to keep it simple. Yep. And he does, he didn't even touch on it, guys, but I don't know all the details of it, but I saw that you just launched your coaching. So you can, I'm sure your LinkedIn bio yep. will take them there where yeah, they can if, see if, more. If you're a busy parent and don't know what to do and you have 30, 40 minutes to pop in your garage gym, that's what I put programming out for. So make good use of your short time in the gym. Obviously kind of niche, but if you're somebody like me who has limited time to train, just like good quality, thought out, but not too complicated training for your garage gym. I love it. I love it. That will all be in the show notes, guys. So you can go ahead there to check it out. And last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you would please follow the show wherever you are consuming it, rate and review it, share it with somebody that you think it will positively impact and have a beautiful day.